I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello, and this is Maximum Firepower. It is a wonderful pleasure and honor to have today as my guest, Lars Fredrickson of the band Rancid, who has a great new solo record out. We spent a lot of time together about 25 years ago <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. on, on and off tour, but we haven't seen each other in a while. It's lovely to see you, and your new record's great, man. Uh, thank you, buddy. It's good to see you, too. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I think we were, like, somewhere in Switzerland or someplace, and you asked me to show you the Olympia Washington lead. Yes, do, yes, do that's right. That? Yes, I and do. And we were, yes, like, we were, we were, it was, I just remember that. I, I can't remember where we were, though, but I feel like, because we did, like, all those shows over in Europe with each other, and then we yeah. did, you know, obviously the States, and uh, I don't know. So it's good to see you, man. And Australia as well. And Australia as well. That's we, right. Yeah, oh we, did big, we, we did Big Day Out together in, in 96 or something yeah, like the, that. The, in Australia. Yeah, the Big Day Off. Big Day Off, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, a lot of diff- there's a lot of different potential starting points. I would, yes. b- before we get to that, I want to get into yes. our, ri- our rich history of touring together. But yes. um, in my own career, I have stepped back and forth between making solo albums and solo tours and being in a band. Tell me what, tell me for you, like what is the one, what is the impetus for the solo record? And then two, what's the experience of doing one versus the other? I mean, it's, it kind of goes back a while. I mean, Dan Hodge was the one who sort of suggested this to me because, you know, during the rancid sets, I would do like little Samuels of punk rocker. And 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 by then the bastards records had come out. So that tab and have not, which is a Billy Bragg song. And we, I think we we toured with Billy, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, 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 we, right. yeah, we all did. So, and of course, Little Sammy's a punk rocker, or what we know as the Wars. And I, you know, I reference Billy Bragg, and um, so he said, you know, you should you should do a Billy Bragg thing. That'd be sick. And I and I just like, you know, I'm a band guy, you know. So for the longest time, I just kind of like you know shoved it to the side. And I feel like once I like completed the bucket list. You know, of things that I wanted to do, like the, you know, those, there's always those unachievable things that you, that, that you want, would like to do in a band, but you feel like you never will or whatever it is. And I feel like, you know, after that sort of completed for me and then Dan suggested to me, to it, it to me again, I was like, you know what? I'm pushing 50 here. If I don't do this now, I probably never will for whatever reason. So I just kind of, I, I said, all right, maybe I'll try. I don't even know what that even looks like. And um, my buddy, Chris, who I was living with at the time, promotes a lot of shows here in, in town. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing like this thing where maybe I do like a Billy Bragg kind of style. And I'll just like play some old bastard songs that haven't been played in 20 years. And I'll, and I'll do some old from casual stuff and I'll do some covers because, you know, I'm in like 20 bands. So there was a yeah, lot yeah. To, <laughs> to choose from. And. And he's like, yeah. And I, and I said, well, you know, you know, put it in a small place because no one's going to show up to this. And he's like, oh, OK. You know, and I said, well, how about like 450? And I was like, yeah, it, I mean, it's, you know, it won't look so empty. <laughs> and and then sold it out in like six hours. And I was like, oh, shit, now I really got to do this. Right. <laughs> so so then I kind of just, you know, started kind of just picking songs that I thought might translate well in that kind of environment. 
you know, and it just kind of started taking off. And then the pandemic hit and that was literally March 7th of 2020 is when I did that wow. show. Yeah. So, but, but you know, I guess the other part of your question being in a band, it's obviously two different things, right? I mean, you both, you know, you know, I think that I'm just, I kind of write a lot of songs and, and uh, I think, you know, just having different avenues to bring those to yeah. is kind of, you know, it's kind of a neat thing. Yeah. For, for me, I always felt like the thing that you get out of a band is chemistry. And that right. together, together you create something that you could not alone, right? And the thing you get out of doing a solo project is like purity. Like you right. get something that's undiluted. And I think that, you know, there's room for both. And and right. so I'm glad that you're doing this. It's super cool. Okay, so let's talk a little. I'm, Rancid, one of my favorite bands, as you know, I've told you through the years, one of my favorite bands. But let's, for for people who may be less familiar, listening now, who may be less familiar with the tale, what it was the formation of the band like is it has a very sort of unique sort of beginning and and ethos that kind of launched the band uh, so i can only tell you my perspective right so i had a band that actually opened up for rancid and we played a show with them at the gilman street this so this must have been 92 and they were still a three-piece then fast forward a couple of weeks and i went to go see the band that i had been kicked out of at the gilman and i saw <laughs> Saw Brett Reed, because we were still kind of friends, you know, whatever. Yeah. Maybe loosely friends. So I go to the UK sub show. It's supposed to it's supposed to be at like a Sunday matinee. And I see Brett Reed there. And he, you know, we remembered each other from the show because we played the show together with her. He's like, yeah, we're looking for another guitar player. And I was like, well, I'll do it, you know, because I liked the band. I really did. I liked, liked the yeah. whole style because it was completely different than what was going on in that Berkeley scene, you know, because it was all that, you know, it was a lot of emo shit and just mm -hmm. like, you know, what Rancid was, was, was sort of polar opposite of what was, you know, the norm there, you know, mm -hmm. cause it was, it was punk. It was like, you know, GBH, but it was like this other thing too. Cause it was, it was coming from California and, and, you know, so it had like this Ramonesy thing, but with everything, like a lot of the English stuff that I liked and, and obviously the American stuff that I liked, but it was also unique. So I was drawn to it. Basically, um, I gave my number to Brett Reed and, he called, I think Tim called me up like maybe a couple of days later and we just started kind of communicating with each other. And he sent me like a demo tape and the first seven inch, I think was already out on lookout. And we had, I remember we had my, the band I was in had some plans to go play a few shows in Southern California, I think like at the doll hut and some other place. And the bass player called no it was like this the bass player called and said i want i need to break up the band because of my girlfriend you know it's like one of those things you know and you're just like okay kick rocks stupid and then tim like called like literally like an hour later or something i was like well my band just broke up so let's go and it was kind of one of those things where it yeah. just was it was just kind of this was something that was meant to be like when you look back you know uh that's kind of what led me to this EP thing, you know I mean? And I, you know, I talk about it in the liner notes to bring it back to the, to the main reason why we're here. But I just feel like, uh, you know, rancid and the whole thing and how it all came together was all just, it was kind of divine in a weird way. If I, if I can dare to use that word, just because yeah. for all, all of our lives sort of changed and branched out, you know, and I think we became, you know, we were a bunch of boys that became men and we did it touring and, and having to depend on each other and you know you kind of really realize and maybe you've had this experience too but it's like that true intimacy like I always never really had a true intimate partner you know and, and there was only a certain amount I would let somebody in but when you're in a band 
You know what I mean? And you're living like you're living for so long on the road. You know, it's either going to break you up or bring you closer together. And sometimes it feels like it's breaking you up, but it's actually bringing you closer together. And it's like you have to kind of check your ego at the door sometimes and just kind of remember that it's like everybody's having their own experience. So on the new, uh, my, the jam that I was rocking to hardest yesterday is a song called Army of Zombies. Yeah. So just tell, yeah, tell me what's the vibe, what's that about, and what's well, the genesis that, of that? Well, that's a, on the, the Bastards' first record, and it, I just kind of thought that, of the lyrical content and how it's appropriate for now. You know, because I feel like there's so much division, you know what I mean? And it's like it's fucking stupid and watching society just be po so polarized politically or with a pandemic, you know, a sickness or, you know, everybody, there's already enough division in this world. You know, people want to divide us by our skin color and the God we want to pray to or who we want to sleep with. It's just, and so I, I felt like it was kind of like appropriate to sort of redo it because the message is there, you know what I mean? And I feel like, you know, you got, fascism coming from both the left and the right you know you have like you dress like this you talk like this you can't say this and it's like or and if you do you're a bad person and you should never have a voice and it's just to me it's just kind of stupid you know i feel like you know if there wasn't freedom of speech we never would have punk rock or rock and roll we never sure. would have had soul music or we never would have had anything <laughs> we never if freedom of expression comes with freedom of speech and you have to have the room to say the really stupid shit to get to the fact, to the smartness, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So my mom, you know, grew up in Nazi-occupied Denmark in World War II, right? So she's firsthand seen fascism when she saw her family at five years old get killed right in front of her. So, like, she sees, she's known what fascism does. To, to confine yourself in a box and, uh, you know, to keep this set of rules, on, put that on society, to me, is wrong. And I feel like, you know, that's kind of what we're seeing. But we're seeing it from both sides. And when you're someone like me, who's just kind of like in the middle here and just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of plain, you know, it's, it's very, it's very present. And uh, I think that song is just kind of sums that up. Mm -hmm. It's a jam. Uh, so I want to, let's go back to, there was a very uh, heady time in the sort of the early to mid nineties when Rancid was in the middle of this like record company bidding war. It was like, you know, like the Lollapalooza nation was shooting through the roof. Alternative music was with like a capital A. First of all, you just got to tell, briefly tell the Madonna story because it's a big part of the lore. Oh, and come on, man. I mean, I've forgotten this story. I mean, I've told it enough, haven't okay. I? Okay, all right, then never mind. I'll tell it in I two mean, seconds. She sent, us, she sent us a photo, you know what I mean? Yeah. She wanted to sign us to her label. She sent us a naked photo of her. It wasn't really that naked, you know? Yeah. And it was a, just like, and she had a little... She, yeah, so it was a risque photo. She said it was a little caption she drew and said, "Sign with Maverick." You know, I mean, you know, it was it was it was crazy back then. But yeah. it's like I do still have that photo in the letter, and it yeah. actually was an it was an honest it was an, honestly it was a pretty nice letter. Yeah. But um, it, sorry, Madge, it didn't work. Yeah, same same here. I like she came to it. We were playing that. What was that uh, club that was like in a in a church in 
I forget the name. Oh, we the playing, limelight. The limelight. Yeah, we're, we, we were playing at the limelight, and she came to that show, and like you, it, she was a different kind of record executive. I mean, she sent you guys naked pictures. She asked me to go to scores like after the show. Whoa. I didn't, I, I didn't because I I had a I had a job to do. I had to pass out cassettes. <laughs> you know, like I was very. <laughs> so I wish I had a better story to tell you, but I remember yeah. she came up after the show. You know, I'm shirtless and sweating, and Madonna's yeah. like, "Hey, you know, let's go to scores and you know talk about the music industry or whatever." I'm like. I have to go pass out. I have to go pass out cassettes, <laughs> which is like, you know, it's the worst possible ending to that story. But it was, the yeah, worst. yeah. I mean, but I mean, yes, that is the worst possible <laughs> ending. You could have. Let's just say you might have had a happier ending. There's me, yeah, exactly. There were many other endings of that story, and that's not the one that it's the, it's the honest one though. And then I remember because the person that signed Rage Against the Machine to Epic Records was Michael Goldstone, who you guys were in a courtship yeah. with with as well. And I yeah. know that there was a lot. You were on Epitaph and. At the time, I mean, less so these days, but at the time, it was a much bigger deal whether you were well, on Well, one, one of the reasons why we did talk to Michael was because of Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. I mean, you know, because we, we loved your band. Obviously, we were tour yeah. on tour with you guys. But um, that whole time was just, it was crazy. We were just kind of like these, you know, these punk rock kids. We're in our 20s, right? And we're just kind of like, well, you know, you, you kind of got to look at, I mean, we're working class kids, you know? I mean, I'm fucking from project housing, you know what I mean? So it's like... You're at this golden opportunity, this this crossroads, so to speak, and maybe the opportunity is the wrong word, but it's like you kind of, and where I come from, I'm street smart, right? I'm not book smart. Like I'm a 10th grade, you know, I'm a, I dropped out of high school in 10th grade. I didn't, I wasn't going to uh, make my living in the normal nine to five world. I was either going to do get down with some grimy shit or I was going to probably be in jail. I don't know. I didn't, I don't know. I didn't really have many options. College. There was no college education in my future. And it just wasn't going to be. So you're kind of at this threshold where you're making this music and now people are paying attention. And you're just kind of like, why are they fucking paying attention? Because you're in your early 20s. You don't know your dick from a hole in the wall, right? So, you know, and then these people are coming at you saying, well, we can, you know, make your band bigger. And then you can, you know, get your mom out of the projects. And they're saying all this shit. And you're like thinking, well, fuck, maybe I can Right. So you got to sit down at the table and hear that out because I would be an idiot if I fucking didn't. You know what I mean? Because like I said, I'm a street kid, like I'm going to survive. Right. And so I got this, you know, survival mode that I'm in, you know, and then I'm in this band. And then there's three other guys who come from the same fucking background. And we're kind of like, well, what is this? And we would have been stupid not to know what it was. And I think it was just so crazy. But what we ended up deciding to do was stay with Brett. And I'm so super glad we did because I don't necessarily know if we could have made into outcome the wolves on a major label. You know what I mean? So, I, I mean, I feel like it pro probably would have been a different record. There might not have been a, a, a we, I don't know if we would have been as risky as we were by putting time bomb on there and, you know, doing a song like Ruby Soho. And I mean, it might've, you know, there was a natural path for us as, as a band. And I just feel like, you know, staying with Brett, and doing kind of what we felt and honoring ourselves. And I don't necessarily know if we're fully conscious of, of all what I'm telling you now. Like I said, I'm 50 years old, so I have a, you know, a great 2020 vision. But, you know, I don't necessarily know if we could have done what we did on a major label. And it's nothing against the major. I could give a shit what label you are. I just don't think we could have done that record. I'm Tom Morello, and this is Maximum Firepower. It is a wonderful pleasure and honor to have today as my guest, Lars Fredrickson. 
So let, let's talk about the big day out in Australia because that was like oh, one of my one, one of my one of my favorite tours. We it's this was like they don't do it anymore, but it was kind of like when Lollapalooza was a touring tour, except you had like one show a week or something. It was like maybe yeah. maybe two shows a week. So we called it the big day off. So it basically Correct. meant you know it was like rancid and rage and perry farrell's band porno oh from pyros god. and elastica elastica oh my god right right and and we were just like loose in australia for about it felt like it was a month it might maybe it wasn't that long but it felt like we were just like and i loved going to see you guys play i had i filmed a bunch of your shows like on vhs film i was such a huge fan of the band i would watch those later i think tim came asking for him some years later I, and i oh. gave him gave him whatever i had but i was such a huge fan and like you know, watching that band, Rancid, hitting on all cylinders with that record, Out Come the Wolves, like, in the clip. Maybe you had some of the songs from Life Won't Wait kind of in th there, too. It was just, like, it was re a real pleasure and an honor to see you guys rock every night on that tour. I had a, I had a ball. Well, much respect. And the same back watching, you know, you guys. I mean, you guys were the most, probably one of the most powerful bands I've ever seen live. I mean, just the way that, that you connected with your audience and how everybody, I mean, you know. And just, you know, joining you a few times up there on that stage and, yeah. you know, just having having fun. And but I feel like that's the thing. It's like back then, you know, you're talking about like Elastica and Porno for Pyros. And <laughs> it's so funny because I was going through some pictures for the Skunks video that I shot for this this EP. And I found all these photos and I have photos of me and you and Zach and Tim and Mike Watt. And I found the photo and because I have photos from all that time of us in Australia and it was the Jesus Lizard on that one sure. or was that the other one? Yeah, no, Jesus yeah. Lizard. Jesus Lizard was there playing. They were opening for us on our shows that we had on days off from the, That's uh, right. from the tour. Right. No, they were That's they were right. on the they were on the tour as well, because I remember David Yao. David Yao would sometimes the singer of D Jesus Lizard yeah. would uh, yes. sometimes have late nights. And then he would that's play being they, nice. That's being nice. They would play yeah. a show kind of early in the day. And I remember a couple of times he'd be rocking hard. He'd come behind the amps, vomit, get back out there, rock back. And I'm like, who's using that mic next? Like, yeah, who's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who's using that mic next? Not definitely me, need I some. Know. No, definitely need some fucking turpentine. <laughs> clean, walk, clean that off. No, um, he he was a crazy dude. I mean, yeah, he would get he shit hammered, and then he would go start fights with Nick Cave, or yeah, oh, you Nick know. Cave was on that as well. Yeah, you yeah, remember? Yeah. I remember one time we're in that, and we're 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 hanging out in the lobby of the, the hotel or whatever, and it's like about four in the afternoon, and Nick Cave and and the Bad Seeds would all be at the bar, and, and Yao goes in there just shit hammered, and he's like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, more like Nick Cave and the Bar Seeds or the bar seats or something. And they got up on the table and like started kicking their drinks off the thing and just like taking his shirt off and doing this like snake dance. It was, he was out of his fucking tree. Yeah. And the funny, <laughs> funny part about it is, is weren't they from Detroit? Were they from Detroit? Jesus lizard. Uh, I thought, I think Chicago. I think Chicago. Chicago. I think okay. Chicago. So we, after that, we're playing, we're doing another tour and a States tour and we're come to Chicago and he shows up with like his wife, and he's stone cold sober and he's very nice. He's like, oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> like when he was sober, it was like, it was like Jekyll and Hyde. It was the full, Je full Jekyll Hyde. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember the Nick, I was so intimidated by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. First of all, they're huge in Australia, right? They're like oh, the, yeah. the, the huge in Australia. But they would like, you know, like they dressed like in the afternoon, like they were going to a vampire funeral. You know what I mean? Like a vampire. And they were like, like lace and black and this, that, and the other. And they didn't really interact so much with the other bands. And I remember running into them some, some museum somewhere, some Aboriginal museum, and just like, like just, just keeping my distance. So they look like super spooky. All right. So let me tell you this. This is, this is a story that I, I haven't told you or Tim. So we were all playing, uh, I think it was the K Rock 
weenie roast. Like, yeah. you guys were playing the K-Rock. I went down to K-Rock Remus. And at the time, everybody was, like, arguing about guitar tone. I had this friend. We're driving there arguing the whole time about, like, guitar tone. I'm like, this is the most ridiculous argument. So I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going down to the K-Rock weenie roast, which is a festival show, kind of like a bunch yeah. of bands play all day long. Bunch of diverse bands. So I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to rank each of the bands on this list according in two categories. One is, how good is that band's guitar tone? And <laughs> and, and two, how good is that band? And we're going right. to see We're going to see if there's any correlation. And it was unanimously decided that Rancid, of the bands on that day, had the worst guitar tone and were the best band. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Back then, when you're talking about tone, the only dudes that did that were like metal guys, right? Exactly, like, exactly. So, and and you or and, fu and fusion yeah, guys. Yeah, there was like right. a fusion uh, thing. Do you yeah. sound like Chick Corea? Yeah, it's yeah. like or, or what? I don't even know who fucking Chick yes. Corea is. I don't. I just I just know the goddamn you name. You just imagine he's got great tone, right? Yes. <laughs> like he's the guy with like I got sixteen strings, you know? Right. right so right. um or whatever, but. Yeah, I feel like we just kind of plugged in and played, you know. We, I felt like, you know, back before us, it was it was it was the energy, and I mean, and also it's what we could afford. Yeah. To be yeah. brutally honest, so you know, I've I've played the same head that I was playing back then. I'm still playing it now. Obviously, you refine as you get older because you get you sort of understand how pickups work and you know how maybe the wood and the certain guitar works or how to manipulate things and i mean yeah, cuz it's always a learning process and then when you're playing as much as as we were and i, I think maybe even tim might have still been in, on marshalls back then because he's on mesas now wow. and then now there's i think there's a better balance between the two of us you know mm -hmm. cuz he's got the he plays the gretsch so it's kind yeah. of got that rounder thing and yep. i kind of you know have the more mid-rangey high he's got the mm -hmm. lower aspect of it so and punk rock is fucking mid-range right mm -hmm. so i don't necessarily know if we've we've totally geeked out on the whole tone thing i just it's also in your hands too and i think as you you sort of kind of figure out what you're doing because like what you do is completely different than what i do sure you know because you're you're messing with some you know shit and you're i mean you know and when people do ask me i always cite you as somebody who took the guitar and made it something completely different and you reshaped it and presented in a completely different way that nobody ever thought about. So, you know, you, you'll go down on the annals of rock and roll history as that guy. Me, I just wanted to be Malcolm Young. All I wanted sure. to ever do is hold <laughs> it fucking down. Cause I mean, if you're, if you're as a rhythm guitar player, if you're playing to the kick and the snare, that band's going to tighten up. And that was one thing that I think maybe we could have sounded like shit, but I definitely know that we were tight and we were fucking damn good. You were out the there. best. You were you were clearly the best band of the day, and at the, well, that, that's the only category well, that mattered. That's the only well, yeah. category that matters. Well, see, and that's the thing. And I feel like you know we always approached it, and we still do. It's like I know that I, you know I approach it when I'm walking up there. I want to burn that fucker down. Like that's yeah. all I want to do because who knows when I'm going to get another shot to get up there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the solo shit, nah, I don't really want. You know, I'm just gonna. You know, I'm not going to be running around like a fucking kook. But then again, I don't have a have a band behind me either. So, all right. So, in in conclusion, get, we do this sometimes on the show here. Yes. We talk about like the Mount Rushmore. So, like your top four of some category. So, give oh, me geez. your give me your top four. It could be it's, it's your top four today. Your top four punk okay. rock top four punk rock bands of all time. What's your Mount Rushmore of punk rock bands? Well, Motorhead's going to hit it, and yes, I'm going to say Motorhead because sure. you know. They were as punk as they were metal. And and I don't think that we would have the music that we have today, whether it be rock, punk, metal, whatever. If there was the Motorhead was the gateway drug. 
So let me obviously Colin from GBH. I'd put Roger Merritt up there from Agnostic Front because you got to have the Americans represent. I'd probably pick a lot of singers, you know, mm -hmm. just because I feel like, you know, in, in the punk music, that's kind of who you remember in some ways. Uh, and who's your fourth? Oh, my God. See, uh, and again, like I said, you can change it tomorrow, so don't overthink it. Like, no, gets well, I see, that's the thing. I'm trying to even, I'm trying to think of bands. Uh, I will go with uh, Joey Ramone, of course. There you go. There you go. When you've got Lemmy and Joey anchoring yeah. the ends there, it's not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, really well, you're, you're well ahead of the game. And that's it. There's enough space for for that's for right. Colin that's for Colin and Roger. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, Lars, thank you so much. It's it's first of all, it's just lovely to see you, man. And same back, brother. Con congratulations on the record. Everybody, check Thanks, it out, man. Lars Fredrickson. Um, and it's been a you know, I I, I miss. I hope I mean, first of all, I miss seeing anybody out on the road. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I hope that I hope that we cross paths sometime we in 2022 or, or well or i think beyond. i think i think we got we we did in montebello yeah yeah we did yeah 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 yeah. we, we so, did overlap that which was nice yes but That's i don't nice. think i i got to see you see you yeah so. i got to just i got to see you rock and that was that i was saw good. you watching us and then i was like i gotta go say hi to tom and yeah then you i think you guys whatever doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah 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 anyway lots of love brother it's great to Stay see back. you back and until next time everybody take it easy but take it let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower. Oh.